From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Friday, December first, twenty twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Israel's combat in Gaza has resumed. China lays out vision for the Yangtze River Delta development. COP28 kicks off with the establishment of a climate disaster fund. In business, Tesla begins the long-awaited rollout of Cybertruck. In sports, rising Chinese talent Zhou Yulong has an upset at the UK Championship. In culture and entertainment, Greece calls for the return of lost treasures from Britain. Now today's top stories. The Israeli military says fighting in Gaza has resumed, claiming Hamas violated a ceasefire agreement. The announcement came after a week-long truce expired at 0500 GMT on Friday. Israel said it intercepted a rocket fire from Gaza in the hours before the truce was set to end, while Hamas-affiliated media reported sounds of gunfire and explosions in the north of the coastal strip. Sam Matnik has this report from Jerusalem. 7 a.m. local time, Israel said that Hamas violated the ceasefire and it was resuming its combat. They said that Hamas fired rockets into Israel, that it intercepted them. Throughout the morning, there have been air siren alerts in southern Israel. Israel said that its fighter jets are now attacking in Gaza, and there have been reports of smoke and rocket sirens in Gaza right now. This ends this seven-day truce that we've seen, and what we saw during that truce was about 107 hostages released, 83 of them Israeli nationals, and the rest were foreign nationals. We also saw 240 Palestinian prisoners released during that time. There were intense mediation efforts from Qatar. 
Qatar, the United States, and Egypt. Right up until this point, until about two hours ago, we weren't sure if it was going to continue or not. But what we did know, what conflict analysts had warned, that as the ceasefire continues, as more hostages were released, it was going to become harder to extend it. There are less and less hostages that Hamas can, can bargain with in order to get that 24-hour ceasefire. And there are more men and soldiers now who are hostage in Gaza. And it is very likely that Hamas is going to demand greater concessions to get them out. And those might be demands that Israel might not agree to. That was Sam Metnick reporting. For more on developments in Gaza after the truce came to an end, here's Ikram al-Satari. Well, the situation is extremely intense. In the very first 30 minutes of the resumption of the fire, around seven Palestinians were killed. Two of them came to this particular area in the reception and emergency department at Central Gaza Hospital, Shuhada al-Aqsa. Two others were, the five others were killed in Jabalia area, in Abassan area, and in Rafah. There are also some heavy bombardment taking place targeting different houses in Sheikh Rudwan area, in Gaza City, and also in Gaza North, some other houses were targeted. So very intense fire, very large number of people killed and injured, and even the fire started before the official end of the ceasefire. So it's a heavy bombardment in the background. The unmanned drones are hovering all over the area, not only in central Gaza, but in my, on my way from Khan Yunis to central area, I could hear them. And also in my, on my way, 30 minutes ago, I could hear them hovering, I could hear them bombing, I could hear them also, I could see the smoke coming out from different areas in east and west Khan Yunis. And this is the very same case that applies to all different parts of the Gaza Strip. So it's ongoing bombardment. Initial reports are indicating very large number of Palestinians killed and injured. Officially, seven of them are killed and other around 25 to 30 are injured. So it looks like the fire is intensive and is continuing to be intensified. And we are hearing now frequent reports about more houses being targeted and about more exchange of fire in the area of Gaza Middle Zone and in the area of Nitzarim that was controlled by the Israeli army where which they were allowing the people into from moving from the north to move to the south. So it's a heavy fire and it's a very intense resumption of that fire and it looks like situation is aggravating by the second now. That was Akram al-Satari in Gaza. Ukrainian officials say two people have been killed and ten were wounded following overnight Russian missile attacks in Ukraine's eastern Donetsk region. Russian forces have occupied much of Donetsk since the beginning of the conflict as they seek to take over the entire region. Meanwhile, Ukrainian troops made some advances on the left bank of the Dmipro River in the southern Kherson region. Magumi Lim has more from Kyiv. While temperatures have dropped in Ukraine and the winter cold has begun to bite, especially for those fighting on the front lines. And after a severe winter storm battered regions across Ukraine over the weekend, more than 500 settlements in 11 regions are still without power. Russia launched six S-300 missiles and 20 Shahid drones toward the Donetsk region overnight, and Ukraine's air force said it shot down 14 drones. An apartment building in the Pokrovs district was hit by a missile trapping at least five people under the rubble. One person was found dead. Interior Minister Iho Klimenko said 10 people, including four children, were injured as a result of the attacks. Over on the front lines, fighting has not come to a halt despite harsh conditions. President Volodymyr Zelensky visited soldiers on the Kupiansk front in the east on Thursday and thanked them for their service. 
Russian forces have continued their efforts to encircle and capture the battered city of Avdiivka, which has been the focal point of intense fighting for the past month. And according to the Institute of the Study of War, Ukrainian troops made some advances on the left bank of the Dnieper River in the southern Kherson region. Russian military bloggers say 400 more Ukrainian troops have dug in near the Krinky settlement in Kherson in an effort to expand the bridgehead Ukrainian Marine units established last month. That was Makumi Lim reporting. The African Union has called for an immediate and unconditional ceasefire in Sudan. The eight-month conflict in a North African country has displaced millions and sparked a humanitarian crisis. The African Union statement was welcomed by several groups in Sudan. But many believe more efforts are needed for a lasting peace. Joy Kukuri Juma has more. The conflict in Sudan has entered its eighth month. Over 9,000 people have died in the fighting, while millions have been displaced. Away from their homes and without any income to support them, many of these are in desperate need of humanitarian aid. But the widespread fighting and insecurity is making that very difficult. The African Union has condemned what it called the destructive and unjustified conflict between the Sudanese army and the paramilitary group known as the Rapid Support Forces. Non-combative political groups welcomed the call. We view the African Union statement as expressing the aspirations of the Sudanese people. We in freedom and change believe in a basic principle and a basic value, which is the value of peace. Observers and politicians are counting on the African Union as well as an upcoming regional summit to help with a push for peace in the war-torn country. Some analysts feel the statements and actions from the African Union can influence the warring parties. International efforts are ongoing to find a solution. But many feel these efforts aren't concentrated enough, with various peace initiatives pulling in different directions. The unification of mediation efforts into one strong and meaningful international call for peace and reconciliation. Could it be enough to sway the leaders of the warring parties? That was Joy Kuruki Juma reporting. Coming up, China lays out vision for the Yangtze River Delta development. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. It's nine minutes past the hour. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for major breakthroughs in the integrated development of China's crucial Yangtze River Delta. He made the comment while presiding at a symposium on Thursday in Shanghai. The Chinese leader also stressed efforts to enhance the region's leading role in pursuing Chinese modernization. Li Jingyi has details. Integrated and high-quality development are the key words at the symposium presided by President Xi Jinping in Shanghai. President Xi held the overall competitiveness of the Yangtze River Delta, an industrial hub encompassing several major cities with millions of people. 
He said major progress has been achieved since the region's integrated development strategy was put forward five years ago, but reminded that some problems still remain. He also laid out his vision for the region. President Xi called for strengthening innovations in science and technology and improving cross-regional coordination. He also stressed the importance of making institutional improvements for the region's integrated development and promoting high-level coordinated opening up. He called for strengthening of joint protection and governance of the ecological environment, and enhancing the region's capability to coordinate development and security. President Xi also emphasized the need for upholding the leadership of the Communist Party of China. Regarding innovation in science and technology, President Xi said that efforts should be made to generate new industries, business formats, and models, and to nurture new development momentum. He also stressed the importance of international sci-tech cooperation to create a globally competitive ecosystem for innovation. President Xi said that regional segmentation and administrative obstacles should be broken down. Development on basic public services, transport networks should be integrated. He also said that there should be more cross-regional industry transfers, co-construction and sharing, and the rational allocation of production. In terms of high-level opening up, President Xi called for the strengthening of mutual learning and promotion of related reform experience. He also said that efforts should be made to expand influence of the Hongqiao International Open Hub and Shanghai Pilot Free Trade Zone, and to improve the business environment for private companies. On the environment, President Xi called for the establishment of a cross-regional emissions trading system and the promotion of carbon peak and carbon neutrality. He also said it is necessary to plan and build a new energy system and promote mutual assistance between provinces and cities. President Xi also stressed to step up efforts in preventing risks in areas that are essential to national and regional security. That was Li Qingyi reporting. It's been five years since the strategy for the Yangtze Delta region's integrated development was first proposed. To better grasp some of the major breakthroughs achieved during the period, here is Wang Mengjie with this report. Spanning the provinces of Jiangsu, Zhejiang, Anhui, and the Shanghai municipality, the Yangtze River Delta is one of the China's most dynamic, open, and innovative regions. A completely industrial trend, abundant talent, and a sound business environment. With all these advantages, it's not hard to see why the region is a magnet for investors worldwide. The success is clear from the numbers for the first three quarters of the 2023. The Yangtze River Delta dominates. The trillion yuan club of cities, in which eight cities are from the region, out of the total of 24 with a trillion yuan in GDP, that accounts for roughly 24% of the national total. And over the same period, the region saw its GDP numbers exceed the national average growth rate of 5.2%, with Zhejiang Province registering 6.3% growth, the highest in Yangtze River Delta region, followed by Anhui Province at 6.1%. And Shanghai City at six percent. In addition to、uh, the favorable business environment, the Yangtze River Delta is building world-class industrial clusters in areas such as integrated circuits, biomedicine, artificial intelligence, and new energy vehicles. In 2022, the business revenue of integrated circuits in the region exceeded more than 700 billion yuan, accounting for 60 percent of the national total. 
among over 3,000 biotechnology and pharmaceutical-related enterprises in China, nearly half are in the region. To lead high-quality development there, the Chinese government has drawn up a further integration blueprint. According to a three-year action plan by 2025, the region will gradually eliminate administrative barriers, significantly reduce institutional transaction costs, and improve the international competitiveness of the business environment to the forefront of the world. That was Wang Mengjie reporting. The first China International Supply Chain Expo is underway in the capital Beijing. The expo, which ran through Saturday, offers a platform for companies to expand trade and investment cooperation. Themed Connecting the World for a Sheer Future is the world's first national-level supply chain expo. Its exhibitions cover a wide range of areas, including smart vehicles, green agriculture, clean energy, and digital technology. Electric vehicles play a crucial role in addressing climate issues, yet disruptions in the global supply chain have hampered the flow of vehicles and parts around the world. Liu Yunqi takes a closer look at the ongoing expo. From the assembly line to the scrapyard, electric vehicles are expected to generate 18 to 42 percent less carbon throughout their entire lifespan compared to their diesel or petrol-powered counterparts. However, the extent of this reduction depends largely on the source of electricity. In regions heavily reliant on fossil fuel power plants, the environmental benefits of EVs may not be as significant as anticipated. Yet this challenge is steadily diminishing with widespread adoption of clean energy solutions. Nowadays, um, PV is so cheap. And CEO Marcus Elsasser of the clean energy company Solar Promotion underscores the remarkable progress in solar power capacity. He says what took over two decades to achieve in 2002 is now installed on a daily basis in 2023. And one gigawatt is uh, it's about uh, the size of a nuclear power plant, um, of a, of a huge coal-fired power plant. They he believes this trend will continue to grow. In the next uh, four to five years, we'll probably see around about 90% of the additional electricity capacity being added will come from renewables, 90%. But even with the greening of electricity supplies, electric vehicles are facing challenges. David Moles from the World Intellectual Property Organization has noted a slowing trend in patent applications from EV manufacturers. However, in the last few years, attributing the issue to disruptions in global supply chains that demand urgent attention. Open supply chains have added tremendous value throughout the world, and we should all strive to ensure that this continues to be the case in the future for the benefit of all. A 2022 report by the International Energy Agency underscores China's significant role in the downstream supply chain. Its fast-growing battery and EV exports have resulted in punitive tariffs and trade barriers in some overseas markets, disrupting the smooth flow of the supply chain. Zhang Hong with the China Automobile Dealers Association suggests a collaborative approach to overcome trade barriers. Emphasizing cooperation across the entire supply chain, from battery manufacturing to electric motor production and car design. Together with overseas brands, they can create a unified product, sharing the same logo, ensuring smooth entry into countries despite trade barriers. 
To facilitate such collaboration, the first-ever supply chain expo in Beijing brings together companies from the upstream, midstream, and downstream sectors, fostering crucial partnerships. CEO Chris Pereira of the PR firm Impact underscores the importance of such collaborations.、Uh, I think、uh, international collaboration and making more friends around the world will be the solution. Batteries might be the solution. Solar panels might be. If we have wars and conflicts, none of that matters. Many Chinese companies, including both major players and smaller firms, are already seeking partnerships abroad. Feng Jingjing from Sunic says the company has expanded power station services to Europe, starting with Hungary. While CEO Ma Wei of the autonomous driving firm City has reviewed ongoing negotiations for multiple investments in Saudi Arabia. Electric vehicles stand as a vital tool in combating climate issues, and a green supply chain has emerged as an equally crucial channel to share these solutions across the globe. For the Beijing Hour, this is Liu Yingqi reporting from Beijing. This Sunday marks the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Social organizations in China are working to improve the life of this group of people by making social activities more accessible to them. Dou Hongyu had the opportunity to visit a service center for people with disabilities in eastern Beijing, where wheelchair dancing takes center stage and steals the spotlight. Every Tuesday, a service center in Beijing's Dongcheng District transforms into a must-visit place for seniors with disabilities. When stepping to the rehearsal room, no one can resist being captivated by the joyful atmosphere during their training. The air is filled with laughter, music, and the sound of wheelchairs moving, just like a party. Even though it's a regular training, everyone makes up and dresses up to present their finest form. Captain Zhang Zhong of the wheelchair dance team says dancing is not a simple task for elderly individuals with disabilities. For those with physical disabilities, even basic tasks like sitting upright can be challenging. During their initial training, they focused on improving sitting posture. Wheelchair dancing is an international sporting event and has become popular among people with physical disabilities. For more than 15 years. Zhang has dedicated himself to training dancers and accompanying them in competitions worldwide. Among those dancers, 52-year-old Dong Jingli stands out. I used to avoid dance. I wouldn't let anyone mention it in front of me. I thought I would never be able to dance in my lifetime, so I considered it a taboo. Dong has been unable to feel anything from her ankles down since she was eight months old. She says wheelchair dancing has boosted her confidence. Before, I was afraid to be seen by others. I didn't want people to notice me. However, dancing has completely transformed me, instilling a newfound confidence. I want more and more people to watch my performances. If there are fewer people, I may lose that passion. As the music begins, able-bodied partners elegantly dance with individuals with disabilities. They follow the beat, moving their arms, spinning, and creating formations. 
Dong explains that these partners, who are around 60 years old on average, volunteer to help, especially when they have performances in other cities. Meanwhile, the team is looking forward to having more able-bodied dance partners join them. In Dongcheng District, around 37,000 people have disabilities, and many of them face physical challenges. Liu Suling is the director of the Dongcheng Service Center for People with Disabilities. She says seniors make up more than 70 percent of those with physical disabilities. The aging of people with disabilities is a significant issue. As they get older, they will face various health problems. It's quite challenging, but it's really important to encourage them to get out of their homes and do suitable sports. To inspire their interest in sports, the center has organized over 20 different activities, including ribbon dancing, wheelchair modeling, and table tennis. They also provide indoor exercise facilities and online sessions for those who cannot go outside. In China, the government has been committed to improving facilities for people with disabilities, with about 11,000 fitness sites established by 2020. Moreover, the country actively participates in international disability sports events and collaborates with other nations and international disability organizations. The aim is to promote friendship among all individuals, including those with disabilities. For the Beijing Hour, this is Dou Hongyu. Coming up, COP28 kicks off with the establishment of a climate disaster fund. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impacts of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. It's 23 minutes past the hour. The United Nations Climate Change Conference COP28 has announced to create a fund to help and compensate mostly developing countries struggling with loss and damage caused by climate change. It's seen as a major breakthrough at this year's summit. Germany and host nation the United Arab Emirates each pledge 100 million U.S. dollars toward a fund. Adele Maruki reports from Dubai. Egypt, the president of the last conference of parties and the leader of all COP negotiations during the last year, says it's extremely worried. Giving his final words as president of COP27, Egyptian Foreign Minister Sameh Shukri said that climate financing is shrinking at a time it should be doubling. Rather than increasing climate finance. From developed countries, actually, it's decreasing in relations to the growing needs and the increasing costs of finance in developing countries. The expansion of fossil fuel exploration and production, in particular of coal, in countries that previously committed to substantially phase down. Another worrying sign is the increased gap in renewable energy expansion and availability. The United Nations climate body UNFCCC too is alarmed. We are taking baby steps, stepping far too slowly from an unstable world that lacks resilience, to working out the best responses to the complex impacts that we are facing. We must teach climate action to run, because this has been the hottest year ever in humanity. So many terrible records were broken. Science tells us we have around six years before we exhaust the planet's ability to cope with our emissions, before we blow through 
1.5 degree limits. The presidency of COP moved to Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber, the former head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. Leading one of the biggest power companies in the world, Al-Jaber called participants to lead what he described as unconventional changes in climate negotiations. Since Paris, we have made some progress. But we also know that the road we have been on will not get us to our destination in time. We must look for ways and ensure the inclusion of the role of fossil fuels. We collectively have the power to do something unprecedented. The UAE says COP this year will engage intensively with high-emission industries like aluminum, steel, cement and public transportation. Unlocking affordable green financing for developing countries and allocating finance for the loss and damage fund remain to be a major challenge and a target for participants this year. Criticism fell on the UNFCCC for choosing an oil-rich nation like the UAE to lead and influence climate talks throughout the next year. However, some say that the Gulf nation's influential power in the oil and gas field could finally ease the usual deadlock with oil giants across the world. That was Dal Maruki reporting. Coup leader Guy Philip has returned to Haiti after being repatriated by the U.S. government. He arrived in Port-au-Prince and was taken on a bus with police escort to the headquarters of the Judicial Police of Haiti, where he was held for several hours. Philip once served as police chief for Cap Haitian and was accused of masterminding attacks on police stations and other targets while in exile in the Dominican Republic. He returned to Haiti in 2004 and led a band of rebels that captured Cap Haitian as he joined an uprising that led to the ouster of the then-president. Philip was arrested in 2017 while taking part in a live radio talk show. He was sentenced to nine years in prison after pleading guilty to a money laundry charge. Authorities say he used his position as a high-ranking official with the national police to provide protection for drug shipments in exchange for cash. Philip was released from prison in September. Now let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 6 overnight, followed by sunny skies and a high of 9 on Saturday. Chongqing is 10 tonight, tomorrow overcast with high of 12. Lhasa is minus 2 overnight, then cloudy and 12. Hong Kong is down to 18, then sunny with a high of 23. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 5 overnight. It'll be sunny and 13 on Saturday. Islamabad is 10 overnight. Tomorrow, sunny and 22. Bangkok is down to 27 degrees, then showers with a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi is thunderstorms with a high of 26. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 19 this evening, with mostly cloudy skies and a high of 27 on Saturday. Auckland is down to 15, then cloudy with a high of 21. Port Villa will be partly cloudy and 31 degrees Celsius. Time for a short break. So far this hour, Israel says combat in Gaza has resumed. China lays out vision for the Yangtze River Delta development. COP28 kicks off with the establishment of a climate disaster found. So we with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. 
Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Donated an additional Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. So we're with you on this Friday. Still to come in business, Tesla begins the long-awaited rollout of Cybertruck. In sports, rising Chinese talent Zhou Yulong has an upset at the UK Championship. In culture and entertainment, Greece is calling for the return of lost treasures from Britain. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines. Here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Suyi. The extended truce between Israel and Hamas has expired. Media reports say fighting has resumed in several places. The Israeli military says it intercepted a rocket fired from Gaza early on Friday, while Hamas-affiliated media reported sounds of gunfire and explosions in the north of the coastal territory. In Jerusalem, Hamas claimed responsibility for a shooting at a bus stop where at least four people were killed. Early reports suggested negotiators were still seeking a new ceasefire deal, as eight more Israeli hostages were released by Hamas in exchange for 30 Palestinians in Israeli jails. The United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP28, has set up a special fund to help and compensate countries struggling with loss and damage caused by the climate change. It is seen as a major breakthrough so far at this year's conference, with Germany and host nation the United Arab Emirates each pledging 100 million US dollars towards the fund. The United Nations Weather Agency has said that 2023 is certain to be the hottest year on record and warned of further climate extremes. Professor Pateri Talas with the World Meteorological Organization says that the El Nino could tip the average temperature over the target cap in the near future. So already this year, in 2023, uh, we have reached 1.4 degrees uh, warming thanks to climate change and uh, El Nino that we, we are having at the moment. And we have shown in our previous reports that it's very likely, it's practically sure that during the coming four years we will hit this 1.5 at least on temporary basis and in the next uh, decade we are more or less going to be there on permanent basis. Talos warned of more negative impacts of climate change such as glacier loss and sea, life, sea level rise, but the expert says there are still some signs of hope, including a turn towards renewable energies and more electric cars, which helps to reduce carbon emissions. 
Friday is the World AIDS Day, and the United Nations is urging governments across the world to unleash the power of grassroots communities in the fight against HIV. The newly released UN AIDS report says the disease can be ended as a public health threat by 2030, but only if communities on the front lines get the full support they need from governments and donors. Last year, 39 million people worldwide were living with HIV, and this includes some 1.2 million people in China. China has established a national HIV/AIDS treatment and drug supply system in over 2,500 counties, allowing 90% of people living with HIV to receive therapy. More than 95% of them have received successful treatments. A Hungarian official says the country will not support any proposal from the European Union on the revision of the budget and to begin talks on making Ukraine a member of the bloc. Gergely Gulyás is the chief of staff to Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orbán. He says Hungary will not consent to opening these discussions when EU leaders meet this month. The two main issues currently being discussed and debated in Brussels are the revision of the EU budget and Ukraine's accession to the EU. What we are seeing now, even with kindness, that both of these issues are completely premature proposals. The executive arm of the EU has recommended allowing Ukraine to open membership talks once it addresses governance issues, such as include,、uh, including corruption, lobbying concerns, and restrictions that may prevent national minorities from studying and reading in their own languages. But matters involving the admission of a new country into the bloc require unanimity among all members. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has issued a national apology to all citizens affected by a harmful morning sickness drug over 30 years after it started causing birth defects in babies. On behalf of the people of Australia, our government and this Parliament offers a full, unreserved, and overdue apology to all thalidomide survivors, their families, loved ones. And carers, this apology takes in one of the darkest chapters in Australia's medical history. Thalidomide was the active ingredient in a sedative widely distributed to many mothers in Australia and around the world in the early 1960s. It was found to cause malformation of limbs, facial features, and internal organs in unborn children. The British government apologised to victims in 2010, while the United States never approved the drug. And finally, in Japan, Japan has asked the U.S. military to ground its Osprey hybrid. Planes until the aircraft can be confirmed as safe. This comes as a deadly crash involved an Osprey helicopter in southwest Japan on Wednesday. The incident killed one crew member, with the six others on board still missing. Search and rescue operations still underway. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zihang. This is Sui in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, Tesla begins the long-awaited rollout of Cybertruck. Starting Friday, citizens of France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, and Malaysia will no longer need visas to enter China for visits of no more than 15 days. Why didn't Beijing introduce the policy sooner? What benefits can it generate apart from attracting more tourists? And what's the other side of the coin? Find answers to these and more questions on this week's Chat Lounge, anywhere you get your podcasts, and on CGTN Radio.
It's thirty-seven minutes past the hour. Turning to business, here is Dou Hongyu. Thank you, Su Yi. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland closed mixed on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. In Shanghai, the composite index was pretty much flat by the end of the session, as was、uh, the Shenzhen Component Index.、Uh, Shanghai,、uh, Shanghai's index was marginally higher, and、uh, Shenzhen's marginally lower.、Uh, a modest rebound、uh, that we saw for tech and real estate stocks was offset by losses among consumer shares.、Uh, there, the liquor giant Guizhou Multi was down by 1.7 percent. Banks and financials probably made the biggest contribution to gains on the Chinese mainland markets, though we saw Bank of China up by one. 1.3%. China Life Insurance and Pingan Insurance Group、uh, each rose about half of 1%. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped around 1.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei was down 0.2%. China's services trade sustained a robust growth momentum in the first 10 months of the year, up over 8%. The country's services trade totaled over 5 trillion yuan, or around 750 billion U.S. dollars. Services imports grew over 20% from a year ago to more than 3 trillion yuan. Knowledge-intensive services ex- exports posted double-digit growth. Travel services expanded at the fastest pace during the period, as trade in the sector surged over 70%. China's major internet companies secured 1.4 trillion yuan, or around 200 billion U.S. dollars, of business revenue in the first 10 months, up around 6% year-on-year. Dai Wei, with the Internet Society of China, says internet companies play a key role in driving the country's innovation ability. The continuous increase in profits enables internet companies to put more sufficient funds into core technological innovations in cutting-edge technologies such as artificial intelligence, cloud computing, autopilot, new energy, and other real economy areas, so as to lead the high-quality development of China's real economy. Figures show the total revenue of live services platforms rose around 20% in the first 10 months, and the companies focusing on internet sales saw a yearly revenue growth of over 30%. Ministry of Commerce spokeswoman Shu Jueting says China is ready to resume talks with Japan and South Korea to reach a trilateral free trade agreement. At present, the RCEP has fully entered into force, creating positive conditions for China, Japan, and South Korea to restart FTA talks. China is willing to work with the Japanese and South Korean sides to promote the early resumption of the negotiations and make positive contributions to the stability and recovery of regional and even global economy. The spokeswoman says the agreements can help the three countries further open up markets for one another and lower trade barriers. Starting from today, China's trial of visa-free travel for six countries is officially taking effect. The countries are France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, and Malaysia. Ordinary passport holders from these countries can do business or travel in China without a visa for up to 15 days. Also, Chinese citizens can enjoy 30-day visa-free travel in Malaysia starting from today. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has held a delivery event for the long-awaited Cybertruck in Texas. This comes after years of delays and just weeks after Musk admitted, admitted the truck is hard to make at a price people can afford. Mark New has more. 
at Tesla's headquarters in Austin, Texas, before a crowd of fans and investors, CEO Elon Musk drove in on one of the most hyped vehicles in the company's history, the all-electric Cybertruck. Once every five to ten years, something really special, a, a really unusual product, comes along. And we'll remember those special moments. It's very rare that a product comes along that is uh, seemingly impossible. Musk showcased how the vehicle's glass could be hit by baseballs and how the stainless steel super alloy body could withstand arrows and bullets. If Al Capone showed up with a Tommy gun and emptied the entire magazine into the car door, you would still be alive. Uh, you know, and so people say like, well, you know, why'd you make it bulletproof? I'm like, why not? <laughs> but Musk emphasized the Cybertruck is cut out for real work. It can carry a payload of over a ton and has a towing capacity of 11,000 pounds or nearly 5,000 kilograms. It can go from zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds. Musk even showed a video of a drag race between the Cybertruck and a new Porsche 911. The Cybertruck won in convincing fashion. It can tow a Porsche 911 across a quarter mile faster than the Porsche 911 can go by itself. Tesla Cybertruck has been plagued by delays, but on this day, Musk jubilantly delivered some of the very first vehicles to customers who are now ready to hit the road. Thank you for buying Cybertruck. This is really going to, like I said, change the look of the roads, and finally the future will look like the future, and it's really going to be something special. The Cybertruck is billed as being able to go 340 miles or about 547 kilometers on a single charge. The base model ranges from about $60,000 all the way up to $96,000. With the first deliveries now in the books, production is expected to ramp up in 2024 with the goal of producing 250,000 models a year by 2025. The question now becomes, will there be enough buyers for such a radical design? That was Mark Neal reporting. A Montana judge has ruled to block the state's ban on TikTok from going into effect. The ban was scheduled to take effect at the beginning of next year. The judge said, as in quote, the ban oversteps state power and infringes on the constitutional right of users and businesses. Montana lawmakers in May made the state the first in the U.S. to pass a complete ban on the app, based on the argument that the Chinese government could gain access to user information from TikTok. In defense, TikTok said in earlier court filings that it has not shared any user data with the Chinese government and has taken substantial measures to protect the privacy and security of TikTok users. The ban would prohibit downloads of TikTok in the state and fund any entity up to $10,000 per day for each time offering the ability to access or download the app. A final ruling will come to at a later date after the legal challenge moves through the courts. Saudi Arabia will extend its voluntary oil output cut of 1 million barrels a day through the end of March. The kingdom's oil production will be about 9 million barrels per day until the end of March next year. Meanwhile, major oil producer Brazil will join OPEC Plus from next year. The announcement came at the conclusion of Thursday's meeting of ministers of the 13-member organization of the, of the petroleum exporting countries and its 10 partners. Brazil is among the world's top 10 producers and has been the largest oil producer in Latin America since 2016. Britain's largest railway workers' union has accepted a pay offer from train companies that will pause strikes over the Christmas period. 
The acceptance of the deal includes a backdated 2022 pay rise of 5% for staff and job security guarantees. Further negotiations over future pay and working practices will continue. Data from Britain's statistics office said in 2022, the UK recorded the highest number of working days lost to labor disputes for more than 30 years. In Europe, November has brought relief as inflation has dropped more than expected to 2.4 percent, the lowest in over two years. Plummeting energy costs have eased a cost-of-living crisis, but higher interest rates sque- squeeze the economy's ability to grow. Eurostat, the European Union statistics agency, said inflation for the 20 countries using the euro currency fell from an annual 2.9 percent in October. Core inflation, ex- excluding food and energy, also dropped beyond forecasts to 3.6 percent. This raises expectations that the European Central Bank may hold rates steady at its December 14th meeting after a series of, of hikes. But ECB President Christine Lagarde says it's too early to declare victory, with risks remaining from global conflicts. Meanwhile, the larger eurozone economy has stalled this year, raising concerns about the ECB's tightening measures. The global head of macro at ING Bank says, as euro faces a weak economic outlook, the rate hikes should be off the table at the December meeting. Thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, rising Chinese talent Zhou Yulong has an upset at the UK Championship. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Sui. Starting with snooker, rising Chinese talent Zhou Yuelong caused a huge upset at UK Championship by beating three-time champion John Higgins. Zhou picked up a 6-2 win over Neil Robertson in the opening round, facing another former champion. The 25-year-old never trailed and knocked out Higgins 6-3. He will next face world number one Ronnie O'Sullivan, who edged Robert Milken 6-5. Fellow Chinese Zhang Anda also made a splash on Thursday, eliminating world champion Luke. Brussels of Belgium. The two players were locked at four all before Zhang summoned an impressive form and used the breaks of 124 and 68 to win in 10 frames. Zhang will next play Iran's Hussein Vafai, who fired three centuries in a 6-1 thrashing of Matthew Selt. In football, Liverpool has advanced to the round of 16 of the Europa League with a game to spare. Luis Diaz and Cody Gakpo scored early to set the tone in the Reds' 4-0 victory over Austria's Lask. But Liverpool coach Jurgen Klopp was unhappy with the team's finishing touches. A lot of positives in the game, a lot of good football. The thing I didn't like too much and told the boys in halftime already: this game should have been put to bed already at halftime.、Uh, third, fourth, fifth goal—you cannot play it better, you cannot set it up better, you can finish it obviously better, than, but we didn't. 
Leverkusen remained the only team with a perfect record after five games in the Europa League after a 2-0 victory at Hacken, which earned them a place in the round of 16. The German side won every match so far this season across all competitions except a 2-all draw with Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. In other highlights, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's hat-trick, including a stunning overhead kick, led Marseille to a 4-3 win over Ajax. World Cup champion Argentina remains at the top of the latest FIFA rankings as the football governing body released the latest standings. France follows Argentina in second and England moved into the top three. Back-to-back defeats to Colombia and Argentina forced Brazil, previously third, to slid down to fifth. China remains in 80th place, while Japan is still the best-ranked Asian team with its 19th position in the world. The Chinese women's national football team is currently in the U.S. for two friendlies against the host nation. The Asian Cup champions will play the home side on Saturday in Florida and next Tuesday in Texas. Those games are expected to be tense, with both squads looking to rebuild after disappointing performances at the World Cup. Dan Williams spoke to US, Team USA players on their preparations for the two matchups. The US women's national football team is aiming to finish a disappointing year on a high. After failing to retain the Women's World Cup in August, the players are now focusing on the future. Next up for the US, two matches against China, a team that won the Asian Cup last year, but aside also in a rebuilding phase after they suffered a disappointing World Cup group stage exit. I think it's a great side in the Asian champions as well, so a team that likes to win and, and a team that's growing and progressing through the women's, uh, the women's game. So I think no matter what, we're going to have a highly competitive game. The U.S. and China women's teams are no strangers to each other. Only Canada has played the U.S. more often over the years. But these upcoming matches will be the first between the two nations in over five years. Yeah, I'm excited for these two games against China. I think it's a good opponent for us. They're very organized, hardworking. We are both coming off of a disappointing World Cup, both rebuilding. So I think um, for both of us, I'd imagine we're both excited to kind of like test ourselves against each other. For the U.S. team in particular, these matches have added importance, having qualified for the Paris Olympics next year. It means the players are fighting it out for a spot on the team. We don't have a lot of games before the Olympics, so we've got to utilize them and do whatever we can to, to win these games, but progress as a team as well. The Olympics is, is on its way, and that's a, that's a medal that we want to win that we haven't won in a, in a, a long time. There have been some epic matches between China and the US over the years, not least the 1999 Women's World Cup final that saw the US win in a dramatic penalty shootout on home soil. That was Dan Williams on the Chinese women's football team's upcoming friendlies against the US. And finally, the fifth Frisky World Cup is in Beijing. And in the big air event at the Shogun Industrial Park, China's Liu Mountain advanced to the women's final at the iconic 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics venue. The 19-year-old landed a double cork 1080 in her third try and ranked the seventh in the qualifiers. This is the first time for me to do my right side double cork 1080 in official competition and I felt a bit nervous in my first try. But I caught myself down later and focused only on my moves and then it got better. Beijing 2022 silver medalist Tess Ludu made the only jump that earned over 90 points and topped the qualifying round. Alexander Hall is the leading the men's group after the qualification. Over 160 athletes from 24 countries and regions are competing in this start of the World Cup. 
Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang. Coming up in culture and entertainment, Greece is calling for the return of lost treasures from Britain. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. It's 53 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, here is Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Sui. Greece and the UK have been plunged into a row over the long-disputed ancient Parthenon sculptures, which were taken from Greece in the early 19th century. Greece is urging the British government to return the relics to where they were built, but met obstacles from London. Evangelos Sipsas spoke to residents and experts in Athens about their reactions. In the course of its 2,500 years of history, the Parthenon has lost some of its treasured statues to the ravages of time, but also to the British. The marbles have been long a thorn in the side of diplomatic relations between the two countries, with Greeks demanding their return. While discussions over the past few months have been positive, the cancellation of Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis's meeting with his British counterpart has caused outrage in Greece. They are stolen. If you steal something from me, I'll ask for it back, and you're obligated to give it. They've stolen from us, and they're not even ashamed of it. And they destroyed them. Enough is enough. This is our culture and heritage, both physically and culturally, from the people that build them to the sculptures and to us, to whom it belongs. These sculptures are a large part of our history, and it's a shame if they don't come back. The Parthenon sculptures were removed from the ancient temple of Athena over 200 years ago by Lord Elgin, the then British ambassador to the Ottoman Empire. They have since been exhibited in the British Museum in London, where they became known as the Elgin Marbles. Athens says the statues were chipped off the facade and taken away illegally. What the British took away, in fact, Lord Elgin and his team, were not just standalone objects that you could actually exhibit in any museum of the world, but what they did take away were architectural parts of the building, and this is how the building was destroyed, because in fact they used chisels and metal items in order to be able to take away the facade. For many years, Britain claimed that Greece did not have the technology nor the facilities to be able to store these marbles. An argument weakened after the Acropolis Museum was built. Now they claim that if they do stay in London, more people will be able to see them. An argument also rejected by Greeks. And of course, that has no logic. And as the Prime Minister, the Greek Prime Minister said. Is like having Mona Lisa torn apart and being exhibited in two different places in two different countries. If we want the marbles to come back to Athens and be reunited, not because of the sake of the Greek people, but for the sake of humanity. Sections of the Parthenon are being restored to repair damage caused by weather erosion and war. Greeks hope the ancient temple's return to its former glory will also help convince the UK to send back its ancient statues. That was Evangelos Sipsas in Athens. 
Visitors to the Edinburgh Zoo had their final chance to see and bid farewell Thursday to a pair of popular giant pandas who are returning home to China after more than a decade in Scotland. Yang Guang and Tian Tian are leaving in early December after a 12-year stay. They have been a popular attraction since people lined the road outside the zoo to greet them when they arrived in 2011. The pair in Scotland were the only pandas in the UK. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon won the Best Film of the Year award by the New York Film Critics Circle. It's the third time that Scorsese has been given the Best Film Award from his hometown's critics after Goodfellas and The Irishman. The group also awarded Lily Gladstone, who stars alongside Leonardo DiCaprio in Killers of the Flower Moon Best Actress. Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's non-fiction bestseller Chronicles of the Chronicles the Ace the Osage Murders of the 1920s. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's blockbuster drama about the Manhattan Project, picked up several awards, including Best Director and Best Cinematography. Back to you, Sui. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu with Culture and Entertainment. Let's check the weather again. Beijing is minus 6 overnight, followed by sunny skies and high of 9 on Saturday. Chongqing is 10 tonight. Tomorrow overcast with a high of 12. Lhasa is minus 2 overnight, then cloudy and 12. Hong Kong is down to 18, then sunny with a high of 23. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 5 overnight. It'll be sunny and 13 on Saturday. Islamabad is 10 tonight. Tomorrow, sunny and 22. Bangkok is down to 27 degrees, then showers with a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi has sun- thunderstorms with a high of 26. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney's 19 this evening, with mostly cloudy skies and high of 27 on Saturday. Auckland is down to 15, then cloudy with a high of 21. Port Villa will be partly cloudy and 31 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour Making News Today. Israel says combat in Gaza has resumed. China lays out vision for the Yangtze River Delta development. On behalf of the staff, this is Sui in the Chinese capital, hoping you will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 